Hi, everybody. My name is Andrea, and I'm on staff here at BASIC. I probably know a lot of you, but I think there's a few faces I don't know, too. So come say hi afterwards if that's you. Am I getting feedback? We good? Okay. So I've really enjoyed this series so far. I think it's given you all a space to ask questions and be honest with your doubt, but it's also given us as the staff and church leaders a place to be honest with you about some of our doubts as well. Um, and I'm gonna do that tonight. I'm gonna be pretty open and vulnerable about some stuff that I've been struggling with recently. Um, if you don't know my story, I'm 24 years old. I graduated from here, you and I, in 2015. So it's been over like almost three years ago. Um, and to be honest, the last few years have felt really unrooted and transitional. Um, I stayed here in Cedar Falls to work. It's been great. I am, I'm okay with my job. Um, I work at a nonprofit doing marketing and it's good. And I work at Orchard with you guys and I love that. And I have a great group of friends and people in this community who are like my family, including my sister who lives with me and that's great as well. And from the outside, it probably looks like I have a stable, firm life. And honestly, I've enjoyed how routine it is. I really love the Cedar Valley and what I'm doing here. But lately, I've been feeling kind of disappointed. My biggest dreams are to have a family of my own and to work in a local church full time. And it feels like none of these things are really happening for me. Some days, and most days lately, I felt like I'm nowhere closer to these dreams than I was four years ago. I'm not married or dating, and since I was in elementary school, I dreamed of one day being married and then having kids and being a mom. And I've watched as this has started happening for my friends, and I've been so joyful for them, but if I were to be honest with you, part of my heart is also battling jealousy and bitterness. And I know um, that I'm really young still, so I have plenty of time, but in this season of my life, these dreams are feeling more distant and out of reach. And more recently, I thought God had me on track for that church dream. Um, this past spring, I applied for seminary on a whim just to see what would happen. And when I applied, I prayed to God and told him that if this is what he wanted for me, he'd have to make it super, super clear because I wasn't about to leave my friends in Cedar Falls and all of the sidecars for no reason. <laughs> he'd have to make it super known. And shortly after this prayer, I got offered a scholarship to get my master's in divinity. The scholarship covers almost all of my tuition, and I knew in my gut that this was the sign I prayed for. And on top of that, I got offered a position at a church in Chicago, really close to the seminary. And I prayed about it for a few days, and I got advice from family and some friends who I really trust. But ultimately, even though on the surface it really appeared like God was about to answer that prayer, I was still confused. I couldn't get a good feel on what God wanted me to do, which threw me for a loop, because I've always been able to feel God's desire for me. It's always been in my gut, telling me which way to go. But this time, every time I tried to hear him, I just had more questions. Should I pick up my entire life and move to a city where I knew nobody and start school somewhere super new in a whole new job? Should I take a humongous pay cut, and I mean humongous pay cut, and trust that God would provide everything I needed to live? Eventually, I turned down the job, but I didn't say no confidently, which made me start to doubt my decision-making. Did I turn down a chance to obey God? 
Was I more worried about money than following him, or was I being wise and a good steward of his resources? Did I make a huge mistake? Have any of you asked similar questions? And all on the surface, all of this sounds really superficial and petty. I get that. But this doubt turned into a way bigger spiral for me. I wasn't just doubting if I'd ever get married or have my dream job. I began to doubt that God even cared about me. Because if he did, why does it feel like I'm fighting to hear him? Why do I feel disappointed all the time? Why does it feel like he's hurting me? Have any of you asked those questions? It started with one choice about one job, and it led me down this weird path, one that had me doubting if I believed in what only a few months ago I was super confident in. And this doubt is really hard for me to admit to you guys from this stage, because I'm supposed to know stuff and then teach you guys about it. But if we're going to be real, Everyone has doubt, but as a Christian and as a leader, I want to be fully convinced at all times of God's goodness. But it's just not reality. Like most of you, I have seasons of doubt, and most recently, this doubt has been leading me to ask one big question to God. What, if anything, has he promised me? And God has been really patient with me as I've asked this question. And he's reminded me of some really important truths about what faith looks like in seasons of doubt. But to dig into that, I need to tell you the story of Esther. So if you're not familiar with Esther, it's actually an entire book of the Bible. We're not going to read it all together tonight, so don't worry. But I really hope you go read it later, because I'm going to have to skip over some really good details to summarize this for you. But if you don't know, Esther's story is in the Old Testament, so it's pre-Jesus, before Jesus came. And if you remember, Julie, a few weeks ago, talked about Abraham, and then after her, Brad talked about Moses. This story comes after both of those. And it begins with the king of Persia, and he was just an idiot. He threw a party that was huge, and everybody was really drunk. And during this party, he sends for his wife, Queen Vashti. And she's really beautiful, and he wants her to strip for his friends so they can see how beautiful she is, too. But she refuses, which is great for her, but something that you just don't do to the king, and so this upsets him, and he basically throws her out of the kingdom. And now he needs to find a new wife, and guess how he does it? He holds a bachelor contest, kind of like what you see on TV, but a lot different. So he has all of these women come to his like palace area, and they spend a year beautifying themselves to make themselves like the best contestants for him. And this is when we meet Esther and Mordecai for the first time. Esther is entered into this contest, and she wins the final rose. She becomes the queen. And this is great for Esther, except there's one small problem. She can never let the king discover that she is Jewish. So the Jews, they were second-class citizens and not worthy of being a queen or any sort of authoritative role. Um, So Esther, she's the queen, and Mordecai is her uncle. And he kind of just hangs outside the palace to keep an eye on her. And all things are going really, really great until this dude named Haman. He has like a high position in the kingdom, and he forces everyone to bow down to him. But Mordecai, only wanting to worship his God, our God, refuses to do it. And this is where we reach the turning point in the story. Haman is really upset that Mordecai won't bow down at him. So he goes to the king, 
And the king agrees to issue a decree stating that all Jews should be killed. And when Mordecai finds this out, he's devastated. And so is the rest of the Jewish community. And the Bible says that the people across the land begin to lament and mourn. And do you see the irony here? Esther, the queen, is secretly a Jew. So Mordecai asks her, begs her to go to the king to stop all of this. But she says no, because if anyone, including the queen, approaches the king without his permission, they could die. And honestly, I don't blame her. Like, yes, she doesn't want to die, but I think we can read between the lines and say it goes further than that. I think that Esther is afraid of losing what she has. She gave up all that she used to be, her entire past, to be the queen. And she can't go back to that life. What would happen to her if the king found out who she really was? She reached her dream. Why is everything suddenly falling apart? I bet, like me, Esther doubted the plan. What's happening? How did we get here? God, do you even have a plan here? I thought you promised us that we would be your people and that you'd be faithful to us. God, what are you doing? This is where I want you guys to open your Bibles. Um, turn to Esther, it's chapter four. And Esther might be hard to find. Like, I honestly would use our table of contents. I can never find it in my Bible. It's really small. It gets lost in the Old Testament. So please feel free to, like, glance at your neighbor or look it up. Um, we're jumping into the story right after Esther tells Mordecai, no, she will not go to the king. And this is Mordecai's response. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for a time like this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She's speaking to her servants who are going back and forth between Mordecai and her. She says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So there's a lot going on there. Let's, let's unpack that a bit. I see both faith and doubt here. First, I see faith in Mordecai. Did you catch it when he says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise. This sounds a lot like faith. Mordecai believes the Jews will be saved regardless of Esther's help. How and why is Mordecai so confident when everything looks and feels so bad? Because he knows God's promise. Mordecai knows what God promised him. Remember a few weeks ago, Julie taught about Abraham, and she told us that God promised Abraham that he would create a whole nation out of Abraham's descendants. And God promised that through Abraham's descendants, he would bless the entire world. Well, the Jewish people, 
are the nation that God promised, and Mordecai knows that God has to save the Jews because he's promised to bless the world through them, and that hasn't happened yet. Mordecai has faith that God will follow through. And we also have promises from God. God has promised to always be with us through the Holy Spirit. He promises that if we choose to believe in Jesus, we will spend eternity by his side in heaven. He promises us joy in and through him and a lot more. But God, he never promised me that I'd get married or that I would have my dream job. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. And it feels mean, if I'm going to be honest to God. Like, okay, God, I'm doing my best to follow you and love you. Why can't I have these things? They are good things, God. Why do I feel let down by you? And I bet you have similar thoughts. Like, God, why can't I find one good friend? Or if you love me so much, why am I depressed all the time? Or God, how come good people get cancer? And I don't know the answers to those questions. I don't know why people who love God and are good end up down a path that is really confusing. And I don't know why loving God doesn't guarantee a life we want. But I do know that even though God never promised me a dream job or that only good things will happen to good people, he did promise to be enough for me. And he promised to be enough for you. Just like Mordecai was holding on to God's promise to Abraham, we have the opportunity to hold on to God's promise through Jesus. In Ephesians 3, it says he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. In Romans 8, it says all things work together for good. God didn't promise me I'd fall in love and get married and be a mom, but he promised me I'd have more than that. And there's so much hope in that promise because I'm telling you, and you're just going to have to believe it, that what God has for me is better. Being his child is better. Living a life for him is better. And it's not easy. And sometimes I'm going to feel really heartbroken because my dreams aren't coming true. I may feel disappointed because my life isn't looking the way I think it should. But I have faith that what awaits for me is more and better than what I'm asking for. We don't get to decide what's immeasurably more or better. We aren't the ones who decide what is good. But like Mordecai, we get to choose to have faith in God's ability to decide what is good and better for us. And I know because I was this person, some of you are rolling your eyes in these seats right now or sighing heavily because why does me telling you that God promised us things make your doubt disappear? It doesn't. It might actually make more doubt appear in your life. And if you're really deeply struggling with doubt, it's not going to go away right now. It just isn't, and that's okay. It's okay to be skeptical of God's promise. And I think Esther was skeptical of God's promise too, because in response to Mordecai, she said, go gather the Jews and fast, then I will go to the king. Doesn't sound like she's really jumping at the gun to go do it right then and there. But she chose to have faith in God's promises anyway. And I say chose faith because that is what it is. It's a choice. I used to think that faith was something I was just supposed to have. Like one day, 
I'd really just believe hard enough and it would happen. I'd have faith, kind of like I have, I have green eyes or curly hair or how I have allergies. Like, it's something I would get and then it would just be there forever. Have you ever thought that too? Is that how you view faith right now? Because I'm here to tell you that faith isn't passive. Faith has to be an intentional choice that we make. And it's a lot easier to choose faith when we aren't doing it alone. In fact, I'm not sure we're ever meant to have faith on our own. A few weeks ago, when I was really just in the deepness of my own doubt, I went to sidecar in my lunch break, and I hoped that reading some scripture and praying alone would help some of the doubt I was going to disappear. And if you guys know sidecar like I know sidecar, you don't walk in there thinking you're going to sit alone. It just doesn't happen. So instead, I saw Brenna, one of my best friends, sitting at the very first table when I walked in. And as we talked, it all spilled out of me. It was the first time I was really honest about the doubt I was feeling about God's plan for me. I said some stuff out loud that I'd been afraid to say because I didn't want to look spiritually weak. And I bet some of you have been there or are there too. And do you know what her immediate reaction was? She said, okay. I believe God will follow through. Let's pray about it and ask for specifics. Let's tell him right now about what you need. And guys, as she prayed, I knew it was a holy moment. I felt God meet me exactly where I was. He wasn't afraid of my doubt. But this moment wouldn't have happened without allowing someone else into it. I needed her faithfulness to meet my doubt. I needed her to remind me of God's promises and what he has waiting for me. Because my doubt was blocking me from seeing it. It's so much easier to choose faith when we know we aren't alone. Esther invited other people into her doubt when she asked the Jews to fast for her. And for three days they fasted. And we don't know for sure what Esther prayed about or what, if anything, God said to her in that time. But I bet he met her there in that doubt. I bet she used that time to remember God's promises to her. Whatever happened in that time, we know something changed because, spoiler alert, God saved them. Esther risked her life, and at the very last minute, I mean very last minute, like the day that they were supposed to die, God followed through. And he saved them, just like Mordecai believed he would. God has promised us so much. Since the beginning of time, God has kept his promises to his people, and he's not going to stop doing that now. And I'm still struggling with that truth. I know I'm only 24, but sometimes I can't help but wonder if I'll ever have these things that I desperately want. But I can look back at how God followed through for his people. He did bless Abraham with a family, like Julie talked about a few weeks ago. And he did lead the enslaved Jews out of Egypt, like how Brad taught us. And he did save the Jews in Esther's story. And he did send his son Jesus, who was the blessing that was promised through Abraham's family to the world to save us. All of these promises were fulfilled. Because these promises are true, I can choose to have a faith that God's promises for me are better and more than what I'm asking for. And how exciting is that? I'm still going to experience doubt. 
I'm still going to hurt when life looks confusing and when I can't make sense of what's happening around me. And that's okay. It's okay to doubt, but if we stay in that doubt, we risk missing out on the better things God has for us. At this time, I'm going to invite the band back up. And as they make their way up here, I'm going to guide us into a time of reflection. And we do this at basic to give us some space to think about what we've heard, whether it's something I've said or God has said through you or something you heard through song earlier tonight. Um, I know a lot of you, if not all of you, are or currently have doubting God's plan for you. I know some of you are hurting because life looks really confusing and you're struggling to make sense of what God is doing. And if that's you, I want to challenge you to remember a time when God followed through on a promise. I want you to think about what that looked like. Was it what you expected it to be? Or if your doubt looks different, maybe you aren't doubting God's plan, but you're doubting something else. Maybe you're doubting God's existence or his kindness. Whatever the case, I want you to reflect on how you can share that doubt with someone. How can you invite someone into that space of doubt so they can give you some faith to rely on? Is there someone you can lean on while you're doubting? God, you are so, so good. Thank you for following through on everything you've promised me, Lord. Thank you for showing us your goodness since the beginning of time, God. You've never once let us down. And I pray tonight, God, that um, you can help my heart, my heart to be softened toward you, to um, learn what it really looks like to choose faith in you, God. And I pray for um, everyone in these seats tonight, Lord, that whatever kind of doubt they're experiencing, that you can give them the people or the music or the words that they need to remember who you are and what you have waiting for them.